going through the book of Philippians since I think last fall, and we're about to the end of the book of Philippians, and we're going to read a passage that is the, really the topic of it is the topic of giving, and um, so I don't always, some of the people get really, you know, hairy-eyed when the pastor preaches on giving. He's preaching on giving. Well, I'm just going, I'm just going on what's next. And besides, I'm supposed to preach the whole counsel of God and, and uh, deal with every subject, and you do it in proportion as well. But this is about giving, and it's a good thing. This, this book, essentially, Philippians, is, it's a book of joy, it's a book of uh, helps and encouragement, but really it's a book of, it's a, it's a thank you note to this church from Paul from prison saying thanks for giving to the gospel work that I've been engaged in. He's basically complimenting them on their giving. And so today, we'll read this passage, but what we're, what we're going to notice in our message, and this is where we're going, is we'll notice four, four marks of a giving church, four marks of a giving church, and the church here that is this way is the Philippian church, and God, um, you know, puts, holds them up as an example, so we need to look at them then and learn something. I'm sorry, my voice, I've been, it wore, it's wore out this last week, and, and um, so I apologize for uh, straining. Here we go, word right here, Philippians 4, verse 13, pardon me, verse 15, till verse 20. Paul says, Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, as you look in the Bible, it becomes apparent when we look at God, who God is, um, God is a, is a giver. As the most famous verse in the Bible says, God so loved that He gave. He wrote words, yes, saying He loves, but He so loved that He gave, and, and He gave the most uh, precious thing that could possibly be given, His only Son. And so God so loved that He gave. And the Bible says in 1 John, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. In other words, whatever God is, is what we need to reflect and be to others. And God is a giving God. Acts 20, verse 35, Paul's speaking to um, a group of, um, uh, it really was elders and pastors from, I believe it was the church of Ephesus. And he says, you know, I, I have taught you guys, I've, I've labored among you, I've, I've been an example to you, and, and I've showed you how that laboring, you have to support the weak and and help people, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, how He said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so uh, Jesus said that. God Himself exemplifies that. The geography of Israel itself teaches us something about giving. 
in the geography of Israel, you have a river, the Jordan coming from the north, I think from the mountains way up there, might start somewhere up there in Damascus or somewhere back there, but, uh, or Syria, and it, the Jordan River, and then you have a couple little seas, one of them being the Sea of Galilee, and it flows through and flows out, goes into the Sea of Galilee, and it flows out of the Sea of Galilee. And Sea of Galilee is still a place where people can fish, and it's a profitable place. Even in Jesus' day, the, the men, a number of the men that Jesus recruited were what? Fishermen. Not all of them, but a few of them. And, and you can still fish today because the water is coming in, and it's doing its thing, and it's going out. And as it goes out, it goes to some other place that ends. It's a dead end. It's the Dead Sea. And it's a, an anomaly of, of things. You know, like, what is this? And I think it's the most concentrated, uh, I don't know if the lake in Utah is any different, if there's a, one's bigger than the other, but it's a, a place where it's just high concentration of salt and nothing can grow there. It's, uh, it's just a strange thing. Some people think it, it probably was formed when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, and that's very likely. But the idea is water's coming in. Good water is going to a, a place, and it's not going anywhere. It's just sitting there, and then it, the salinity of it takes place, however, and it just isn't doing any good. And that's like a Christian. A Christian can be a Sea of Galilee where water's coming in, and it goes out, and we stay lively. We stay fruitful. Truth comes in, and we practice it. We live it out, and we stay lively. Uh, resources from God come to me, and I pass it along, and I still stay sustained and not dead. Or we could be like the Sea of the Dead Sea, where the where, where truth. I'm, I'm applying truth and giving. Truth comes in and just sits in our brain, and we do nothing. More truth comes in, we sit in our brain, and we just really get mentally fat on Bible truth and do nothing. Or as it relates to the resources of God, resources of God come our way, and we just amass them, and we amass them, and we amass them instead of letting it flow out to somebody else and bless somebody else. God has given us the example of being a giver in Himself, in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's given us an example in the geography of Israel. And He's given us an example in the Philippian church here. The Philippian church, I'll give you the four points we're going to look at. When we see the four marks of their giving, I'll tell you the four points and we'll go back and recall them. Number one, their giving was, their gospel missions giving was a priority. As it related to their giving, their gospel missions giving was a priority. Number two, we'll see that they're giving, this church, uh, this giving that they, partake, that they engaged in made them partners with Paul. It wasn't that they're just some distant funder. They were actually became partners in what Paul was doing. Number three, this giving was pleasing to God. And then last of all, number four, we'll see that this giving was connected with and is connected with a promise. All right, so let's walk through those points today as we look at this passage. We're Christians. We're not in the Philippian church, but we're in a New Testament church just like this, just 2,000 years removed, and we want to consider this passage. Number one, gospel missions giving was a priority. Gospel missions giving. It wasn't just some vague missions giving to, you know, feed some people. That's not bad to feed people. It wasn't some vague missions giving to help maybe a, 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 a clinic, build a clinic. That's not a bad thing if you want to do that. This was actually giving toward a missionary who was engaged in gospel communication. For what will it profit a man if they get food and they get taken care of in a clinic and hear no gospel and die and go to hell? It's not going to help anybody. 
If we do missions, I don't care if we build hospitals and feed people, that's fine. If there's no gospel, then it's empty. But here's their, they're supporting Paul, who's a missionary, and they're helping him, and he's doing gospel work. So let's notice some of the words here. Verse 15, Philippians, now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I, went in, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only, for even in Thessalonica ye sent once, again, once and again unto my necessity. What is he saying? Let me back up a little bit. Paul spent most of his time in Israel and in Turkey doing his first missions trip. We call, we'd call modern-day Turkey, that uh, Asian minor. And then finally God called him in Acts, 8, Acts 16, he and his partner, to go across the Aegean Sea into what we would now know as formerly Europe. And he planted the first European church, the Philippian church. He goes across there. He goes and he, 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 he meets some people at the river and he gets this Philippian church started. And there's more to the story than what I'm going to tell you. It wasn't easy. He started the church of Philippi. And when he started it, he left and he went down that, that peninsula there, what includes Macedonia and Greece and all that, that far southeastern part of Europe. And he went, traveled around, started some more churches, went to Thessalonica. Berea, went to Athens and, and had a, uh, a showdown, so to speak, with some of the smarty pants there, went down into Corinth, Corinth and started a church and, and some other places. And then he came back out and went back. But Paul made his little, his trip, his missionary trip. But here's what I'm saying. Once he got into Europe and he meet and he goes, I'll just kind of do it this way. Once he got into Europe, he starts the church of Philippi and he leaves. Right when he leaves, nobody was really helping him. Uh, according to what he says, nobody was maybe sending him some funds. And, and I don't know that he even asked for it in this case. Nobody was uh, <clears throat> uh, said, you know what, we're going to send you some resources, Paul. We're going to send you a new horse or I don't know what they needed. Well, whatever it was, food, extra clothing, uh, I don't know. Nobody was sending him anything. But he says, you know what, you started sending me something. I mean, it was a brand new church. They, didn't, they may not have even had a building, a big building yet. They didn't have fancy torches to light up their, you know, their services in a fancy torch screen. You know, I don't know. It was a brand new church, and they're already sending money to the missionary. And he said uh, they, they made it a priority early on in this young church. They said, you know what, let's, this guy planted our church. Where's he going next? Let's help fund that. Let's help encourage that. Let's go send him something. And they were already, instead of thinking about themselves, now what can we do next for us? They wanted to fund the gospel work wherever he was going. He's going over there in Thessalonica. I got an uncle there in Thessalonica. Let's help him get that church planted. He's going in Berea. All right, let's help him with there. And they were early on, they made, the whole church made their giving uh, a priority to, and directed it toward gospel work. I, I, I heard some... A lot of the typical American, <clears throat> their money goes towards all kinds of stuff. I don't know what the typical American Christian is spending on. I don't know. But <clears throat> somebody said the other day that when we had less affluency in our country, we actually had more missionaries. We have more affluency in this country and probably less missionaries that we're sending out. But this church says, we're just going to help. We want to help this Apostle Paul. We want to help him get going and plant this church, even though we're a young church. He said, notice this here. He says, even when I was in Thessalonica, which wasn't far away, I think maybe 100 miles away from Philippi, you sent me twice. You sent to help me. You know, maybe they, um, 
sent him some extra clothes. Maybe they sent him, a, a, and it could be some funds. I don't know what it was, but they, they sent some help. You know, we, our church, we support uh, around 20 missionaries. Uh, we have some in this country. We have some in Mexico, Costa Rica, uh, South America. Uh, most of them, it's about $100 a month. Uh, we have some in Africa that we support, uh, one that's trying to get to Israel. Uh, and we have um, one in uh, New Guinea and Okinawa and Laos and all around Russia. The youngs, when they, he... He, you know, he's like, I'm not leaving when this whole Russia thing started. He's in uh, St. Petersburg area, I believe. And uh, he's like, we're just going to stay here and keep going unless, you know, God shows us otherwise. So we're supporting by way of prayers and by way of, of giving. And a lot of you have made individual decisions to, to, to give like a certain amount every month. And between you and God, you made a decision to do that without me twisting your arm or anything. In fact, sometimes I feel like I don't speak on it enough. But I think what we're doing collectively, which is between $2,000 and $2,500 a month that we send to several missionaries, is, is normal. It ought to be normal. It shouldn't be, I want you to know we're a mission-supporting church. Like, we should be all proud about it. That's normal. It's like saying, I want you to know I feed my kids. Yeah, there you go. Well, that's what you ought to do. Don't pat yourself on the back doing that or break your arm doing it. We ought to be supporting missionaries. It should be normal. The only thing, I feel like we're a little behind normal. Like, I also want to send some. Even though we're small, let's send some. Where's Josh? Josh, you want to be a missionary? Oh, he's in there. Where is he at? Okay, you want to be a missionary? I'm just, just kidding. I'm just, you know, let God really, God does the calling and stuff. But I, I'm just saying, this is normal, and this is what we should be doing. So, and some of you maybe are like, I never thought about giving to missions. I've been in this church for a little while. Yeah, you ought to do it. You, you label it, missions giving, and we, I could tell you more about that. And it'll help. Uh, or going to one of the fields themselves or going to one of the, the works that are in the country. Maybe it'd be a little easier to go visit. We support the Crittendons. They started our church a couple years ago. We'll probably go uh, uh, without support probably within the year. They started a church in, a few years ago in North Phoenix area. And um, <clears throat> somebody maybe can go visit them and see what needs they have. And not just, not just material, but maybe encouragement and being around them. I don't know. But here is this, here's a giving church that God commends, and what it was, number one, they made, it was a priority. Missions giving was a priority. Uh, number two, their giving made them partners with Paul. He says, no church communicated with me. The word communication talks about, has the idea of sharing. But ye only, you, you shared with me. And then he says, again, this is a partnership. Notice what he says in verse 17. Not because I desire a gift but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. So let me recount this again. Paul goes up to Philippi, plants the church, Paul and Silas. They stay there for whatever, however long. Then they leave and they go to another place and another place and another place. And, and nobody really helped them. And, and I, I don't know that he was, you know, whining and crying for people to help him. But all of a sudden, somebody said, hey, where are you from? I'm from Church Philippi. Oh, I thought I recognized you. What do you got? Oh, you got these goods for us? Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And, and so that really, you know, that really helps. We, we could use those things and, and uh, tell the preachers and tell Lydia, I hope her business is going well and, and maybe we'll pass by and see them again. And so they went about doing their gospel work helped by this church and it helped them do 
more church planning, perhaps, or more, uh, maybe some things were a little easier on Thessalonica. Perhaps he didn't have to spend as much time plant, uh, building tents, because Paul could do that. That was his trade. He, had, he, he could spend less time doing that, more time helping out some of these young churches. And, and then again, somebody came and visited him again. You're from Philippi? Yeah. And they helped him again, and they were supporting this missionary doing gospel work. It's amazing. And Paul writes back to them. He says, you know, Philippians, the things that I'm developing here by God's grace, the church that's being planted in Berea and Thessalonica, this people saved. And, and, and God, God rewards us, by the way, in the next life of that stuff for, for serving Him in these ways that have eternal, um, eternal uh, ramifications. He says, you know, that this fruit that's coming, God puts it on my account that I'll get rewarded from Him but it's on your account too because you're funding this thing. And so I don't just desire a gift from you. I'm not just asking you to send me some more of those goods. I, I just, you keep doing that because I desire fruit on your account. You want to keep funding this? Great. The people, more people that got saved, it's on your account too. In other words, God is going to, they're partners in completing the work. They're partners in getting credit for the fruit of the work. It's kind of like investing early on in a company. I was looking up the thing of Amazon. The largest, is it the largest company in the world or second to Walmart? But <clears throat> I looked up a couple things about Amazon. I read about a couple who in 1997 bought two shares of Amazon stock. They bought it for their 12-year-old son. Eh, we'll buy two shares of this nice little company that's publishing books. That's all it was doing then. We'll buy two shares, and they bought two shares of Amazon. And I couldn't, you had to, had to dig to find out how much they spent. It was somewhere between $1.50 and $5. At the beginning of 1997, the shares were $1.50 apiece. At the end of 1997, Amazon stock was 5 bucks a share. And so somewhere, let's just say it's 3 bucks. So they buy two, two uh, shares of stock in Amazon, give it to their 12-year-old son. Uh, his name was Ryan. I said, here you go, you got some stock at Amazon. And, and uh, they started seeing Amazon do well, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and they even thought about selling it. And they just recently, I think it was last year, they sold, uh, he did, the son, sold his stock in Amazon for the, that initial three to six bucks investment. And they don't, I'm not getting the exact price, but some business insider magazine studied their scenario and they said they probably got six figures, probably in hundred thousands in return. And so he did say, this kid Ryan, he says, I'm using this to help buy a house. It'll be part of it. It won't buy the whole house, but it'll help buy my house. His parents said in this article, well, we wish we bought 10 shares. <laughs> yeah, don't we all, you know? Uh, 20 years ago, uh, five, they said $5,000, if you put $5,000 into Amazon stock 20 years ago, I'm I found somebody said it'd be $2.4 today. That's crazy. I wonder if other churches saw Paul, like the, some of these other churches that were in Asia Minor, and said, look what he's doing, look what he's doing. We should have, we should have put, put something in that early on, too. It would have been fruit that abounded to their account with God. So... Here is the Apostle Paul planning churches, and he says, you know, Philippians, you help me out. And he doesn't, name, he, doesn't, he doesn't name how much they helped him out, but he says, 
you know, I'm not desiring to just be um, made affluent. I don't desire a gift. I just desire fruit that may abound to your account. If you give and you're help, we're partners in this. In fact, he does say this. Look at look what it says in Philippians 1. Philippians 1 verse 5. He, he, he begins the letter very thankful for this church. This is a very pleasant tone of this whole book. It's a happy book, uh, Philippians is. And he, Philippians 1, 4, or 1, 5, he says, he's, he's praying and he says, I'm thanking God for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So the first day that he met them, in the beginning of the gospel is what he called it for them, there was this communing, there was this partnership. And when he left, the partnership didn't end. It's still, they're still partnering with them. They're still, they send a man, I don't know, 600 miles to come see him and hand deliver a gift. Epaphroditus. He says, you're still partners with me. So that when Paul stood before the Lord one day as the apostle and got awards, there's some level of Philippian Christians who get in on that reward too before the Lord. Sometimes all we think of is reward right now or within this life. That's all we often think of. But there's reward with God later for doing eternal and making eternal investments now. I'm not saying money's the only way. It's not. But sacrifice and service and, and service and, and having the right motive and what you're doing and things that go unseen with men and applauded with men and labor that you do out of a motive for God and not to be seen of men, that only God sees, he says, there is reward for that later. And in this case, helping with church planting, it made them partners, and they're going to get reward. Do you partner with any missionaries? Are you partnering at all with any you know, gospel work? It's most ideal to do it through your local church. But do you? I mean, that's what would make us commendable givers like the like a the Lord says here of the Philippians. So they partnered, they, were, they made it a priority, and then number three, it was pleasing to God. Look at what it says in verse 18. This is pleasing to God. Paul says, but I have all, he's referring to the rethink, whatever the package, the, the care package you received, he says, I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. An odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. So again, Paul's in some, I believe it's a house, it's some sort of house arrest, some sort of house detainment. Later on, he died in a, the Mamertine prison. But it is in Rome, there's some kind of house detainment here. And he has to fund possibly his own food, his own lodging, I don't know, but there's still some kind of expense that's necessitated where he's at somehow. And he says, and he says, I've learned to do without if I have to, but I've learned to do it with too. But he says, thank you. I got that whole gift. I got that package. And it was nice having Epaphroditus come. He just encouraged me. And I have the whole package. And uh, having received of him the things which were sent from you. And this, listen how he describes it, verse 18. He describes it in terms of sacrificial, uh, a, a sacrifice, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable well-pleasing to God. He's describing it in Levitical terms, in sacrificial terms, drawing from the thoughts and smells of the Old Testament temple. 
In the Old Testament, there was different sacrifices that came to the temple. And that's what he's picturing. They would bring lambs a certain type at a certain time. Uh, they would be, bring uh, uh, sometimes a heifer, uh, more rarely. They could bring a turtle dove, some, certain birds, not just any. And they can even bring uh, food as an offering. And then there was even incense offering. Oh, you'd like the incense offering. Smelled good. Yeah. Sweet smell of the incense offering. Quite frankly, I like, I like the beef offerings too. They'll smell good, you know. Uh, we might have one today. Hopefully it's not too much of a burnt offering on the grill. But, you know, those things are brought. I'm like, oh, like sometimes I'll come home from Sunday. I'm like, somebody's making steak, Deb. You know, where's it at? She's like, oh, it's chicken today. Sorry. All right. All right. Anyways, we'll, we'll make up for that later, you know. But you do like the smell of a, a burnt, or, or of a barbecue. You like that smell of the meat. But he's talking, I think, in this case about the, the, the sweet smells, about the incense. All oh, that smells good. Mm, that smells good. And so he says, that's what your, your giving is like to me. It's just, I know that was, it's like what God enjoys at the temple. And probably the priests enjoy smelling it. And he calls it an odor of a sweet smell. Whatever the substance they gave it may not have literally been sweet in smelling, but it had that effect emotionally and spiritually. And then he says it's a sacrifice acceptable. He says, what you gave me, this is, this is acceptable. This is acceptable. Just like when people came to the temple and they're going to go to the temple and they're going to go offer stuff to God. By the way, you know this? God did not say to Israel, hey, y'all, Whatever you want to bring, just, just bring whatever you want. Just any animal. Bring rats. We'll cook up rats. The priest will be happy with that. No, God says, here's what you bring. You bring a perfect lamb, or you bring this type of bird, or you bring this type of grain, or you bring this type of oil. And they were all distinct. They were clean. They were pure. You bring, well, that means it's going to cost something. Man, it's harder to find something distinct, clean, and pure. It's harder to find something like that. That's right, and it cost something. That's right. So literally, literally, when they brought some, it was a sacrifice. It took me a while to find a lamb like this. Yeah. It took me a while to find beaten oil like this. Yeah. And I really had to sift through, make sure that, fine, that flour was fine to bring it. It's like, this is no trashy stuff. This is a, it's got to be acceptable, high quality. You see, it's reflecting, it reflects the demands of God. God says, I, I want perfection. And it's all seen in Jesus Christ. The ultimate, all these are shadows of Jesus who came forth as an innocent lamb, perfect, without spot. No fault in him, no sin in him, no guile in him. All that perfect grain and oil and animals, all those things that had to be perfect and without blemish, all are shadows of the, the body. The body is Jesus and the person is Jesus whom when we put our faith in, we have eternal forgiveness with. They had temporal coverings with this stuff when they brought this stuff to the temple. But here it is, Paul referring to that, how they, when they brought something to the temple, it had to be acceptable so that a priest could honestly say, no, that's not right. You don't just go bringing some, any kind of scrappy goat in here. You don't, definitely don't bring a dog. You can have a dog somewhere else, not out here. By the way, it just goes to show you that when we come to worship God, by the way, don't just think, God's just going to take anything I throw at him. Try to think, what is good? What is an acceptable prayer? What is a sincere prayer? What is a sincere and acceptable song? It's like an offering to God. And just think in those terms. But Paul says back to the Philippians, you, what you brought was, wow, this is acceptable. This is good. 
You know, I've heard of people like, you know, we're going to help out the missionaries. Everybody find some old shoestrings that you're just not using anymore. We're going to throw them in a box. Anybody got tea bags you're not using anymore? You're going to throw them. Don't throw your tea bags away. Don't you know missionaries could use those? And I've heard of people doing this. Let's take old tea bags and shoestrings and stuff. What are you talking about? Ten cents, go buy some new tea bags. I don't know. You know, and people have done stuff like that. You think, that's, that's just cheesy. Come on, this is gospel work. Do something else, something quality. And Paul's saying, hey, you didn't send me tea bags and old shoestrings. Whatever it was, it was good. It was good, and it was applied directly for whatever he was laboring that related to the gospel. It helped to at least keep that missionary alive. And so this, this offering, the point is, it was pleasing to God. Paul says, look, you, this was well-pleasing to God. Paul had this sense that God likes this. In Hebrews 13, 16, it says, uh, I'll read it quickly. It says, but to do good and communicate. Communicate means to share. It doesn't just mean blah, blah, blah words. But to do good and exchange, that is, communicate, to share, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. God is pleased when you, from a sincere heart, share with a missionary. Share in some kind of gospel work in some, in some way. Even if it maybe not be exactly right here at this church. If you're like, hey, I know a guy, he's doing evangelistic outreach and I want to go help him. Or I want to go fund him. Or I want to go buy his books. God is well pleased with that. He is. Pleasing to God. I want to read real quick a quote from one pastor who said this on Sunday morning to his church. He said, Do you know, he's preaching from this passage, do you know what you did when you put money in the offering plate a few moments ago? Do you know what you did when you bought some groceries for a family in need? Do you know what you did when you wrote a check for a student who's preparing for ministry? Do you know what you did when you offered a servant of Christ your home for some rest or your automobile for travel or your frequent flyer miles for a ticket? Do you know what you did? Paul would want you to know and to understand that your gift wasn't just related to your wealth. It was related to your worship. You built an altar and placed on it a precious gift that brought a fragrant aroma into the very presence of God, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to Him. I think that's a good way of saying it. That's what Paul is saying about their giving. So their giving uh, was pleasing to God. And then number four, last of all, their giving was, came with a promise. It was combined with a promise. You see this famous verse here, verse 19, Philippians 4, 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The word but means however. It's connecting what he was just describing to now this promise. The idea here is in light of this giving, sharing congregation. In light of this, in light of what you did, but my God will supply all your need. In other words, you, Philippians, out of your supply that God gave you, really, out of your supply helped here in this gospel work. And he says, but my God, out of his supply, will keep supplying you. <laughs> in other words, you know, the, the Sea of Galilee that's letting out the water that's going south it keeps getting it supplied from way up north. Those mountains keep having snow and water, and it keeps coming right in and going right out. He says, my God's going to supply all your need. It's combined with the promise. God is a supplier. God supplies need, not necessarily greed. 
I have no guarantee that, you know, God will provide what I need. I need food and clothing, bare minimum, bare minimum. He'll provide me food and clothing. And anything else that's necessary for the path of life He's called me to do or has planned for me, He'll provide it. Where He guides, He provides. Where He leads, He feeds. Is the idea. If He's leading me in such a way, He'll feed me in that way. If He's calling me in such a way, He'll provide in such a way. We often tell, I've told you of George Mueller. Some of you have read, how many of you have heard of George Mueller? He started orphanages in the 1800s in um, uh, England. It's interesting, I kind of got another side of his story. Uh, George Mueller uh, was a man who started several orphanages. And he, I'll just read you some of this. He lived from 1898. He was a man of faith and prayer and obedience to God. He opened orphanages for homeless children in England without promised funds for the children's provisions. One morning, some of you heard these couple stories, one morning in the early days of one of his orphanages, the cupboards were bare and the money was gone. But children, they still come to the table for breakfast. Mueller was confident that morning that God would provide With the children seated at an empty table, he still prayed for their daily bread. They're sitting at an empty table. There's nothing that they could bring out of the kitchen. He still prayed for their daily bread. He thanked God for the meal they were about to eat, even though he didn't know what it was. As as soon as he finished praying, there was a knock at the door. Mueller opened the door to see that there was a local baker at his doorstep. The local baker says, you know, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I felt God wanted me to bake some bread for your orphanage. And I couldn't help but respond to that. He said, so I've been baking bread all night, the rest of the night and early morning hours, and I got all this bread for you and the kids. I'm just supposed to bring it to you. He's like, all right, very well. Then bring it back. You bring it in. All them kids were getting fed that bread. I read also, uh, as Mueller gratefully took the bread and thanked the man, he shut the door and started to walk back to the table when he heard another knock at the door. He hurried back to find somebody else. It was a milkman. You know, there was a day when they would carry the milk on these wagons and whatever, and, and the milkman says, my, the wheel on my cart just broke. And I need to empty this cart of the weight so I can repair the wheel. Perhaps the children could use some extra milk this morning, he said. And he said, like, absolutely. Less than 10 minutes after Mueller thanked God for the bread that they didn't have and received it, God provided more than enough of the food and then milk for them for that meal. It was just unique things that had happened to this man like that. And there's other stories of him. But here's what I read about him. We think of Mueller as praying and receiving and praying and receiving. But here's what he did, really did also. There was a missionary named Hudson Taylor who went to China. as a pioneer missionary to China on the other side of the world, removed from where Mueller was. I think he may even came from England himself. And Mueller heard about this guy. Hudson Taylor started the uh, East, uh, the China East Inland China Mission, uh, China Inland Mission, and uh, you know he found ways, innovative ways to reach Chinese and plant churches. Hud, uh, George Mueller heard of him, and he prayed and thought and prayed, and he began to send missionary support to Hudson Taylor in China. And I tried to read kind of the what equivalent it was equivalent, and he started out thousand dollars a year. To Hudson Taylor. 
began supporting him. And then I read, by the later life of George Mueller, he was sending him an average of what we would consider $75,000 a year. That's a lot. And I'm not implying this is what you should do in the sense of volume, but I'm saying here's a man who's expending himself, planting these orphanages and teaching these kids the gospel and doing gospel work along with caring for orphans. And yet he's saying, you know what? I'm going to give to this mission work. And it increased. And as he was given to Hudson Taylor, God was providing all his need according to God's rich glory by Christ Jesus. You see that? Flow was going and it kept coming from God to him. That's exactly what happened. Mueller, we look at this promise, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Mueller knew the full effect of that. Yep. I'm tithing, I'm giving, and God's given to me and making it possible for me to do what I need to do. This is, this is, this is New Testament missions giving right here. I mean, we could talk about a tithe. I don't want to do that. That's another time, but this is missions giving right here from this Philippian church. And God says, this is it. I want, I want my, all the churches in the preceding centuries after this is written to know about this, to help missionaries, to help in gospel work, not just help in ourselves, but to invest in the gospel. I think as far as like the, the United States goes, what makes us good as a country is sending missionaries. Uh, our best export our worst export is all the pornography and garbage where it's coming out of Hollywood. That's d- despicable. Our best export is a gospel-preaching missionary that's always been that way in the last 300 years or so. And I think God would bless us if we would return back to that and repent of this other stuff. Do I know these promises? Do I know this participation in giving? I know many of you do. You're, you're, you're helping. And, and I, uh, I, my wife and I, we, we give a certain amount to our missions, and God's provided for us. I, I had a pastor friend of mine, encouraged me. He's an older pastor. His name's Richard Mercado uh, Jr. He used to pastor a bilingual church in Central Phoenix, and now he's helping as an assistant pastor in another church in the West Valley. And I remember when he was, he planted another church before that, and he said, I remember when we were raising money to help our church build this building, and he says, I just felt like, my wife and I were supposed to give a certain amount, and we did. And I was, he says, I was nervous, but I did it. And he says, and as I committed to giving, I think it was over the course of a year, for this church, now he doesn't, uh, he actually merged it, but, but he, to, to give it for this building, he says, I was nervous. He goes, but I gave, and God, every, he said this in tears to a, 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 to a, a pastor prayer meeting I was at. And he said, every time God provided for me what I needed when that, when that certain amount was absent and went toward, in this case, it was a local church gospel work, God provided for us every time. And he's in his 50s saying this to me. I'm listening to him as an early 40-year-old guy. I go, cool. I need to hear that from an older guy telling me that. And he's still growing by faith and seeing God provide all his needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Is that where you're at? Is that, is that, is God spoke to your giving? Again, I'm trying, I don't even like speaking on this because I don't want people to think there's some kind of personal motive in there. I just want to give you the whole counsel of God. The biggest thing, of course, the biggest riches that we need is the riches of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
We are all bankrupt and not material. We are all bankrupt in righteousness. And there's none righteous, no, not one. And Jesus Christ, he, who he is, is rich in righteousness. And we are poor and will never be righteous like him. And that's why he came to the cross, died for our sins, because we are utterly bankrupt with God from all of our sin, each and every one of us. And the essence of becoming a Christian is admitting you're bankrupt spiritually, saying, God, I'm a sinner. I have mercy on me. And I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Bail me out of my, my damnation. Bail me out of my condemnation with you, with the Father. And you, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you trust him as your Savior. You're trusting his atonement on the cross and you believe his resurrection. You're trusting in him. You call out to God saying, Lord, be my Savior. I trust you. Save my soul. And once you do that, you shall be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And at that point, you have the riches that you really need. And that is the riches of righteousness with God imputed on your life. God will look at you as righteous, past, present, future, forgiven, past, present, future. He will look at you as righteous and able to stand before God and have eternal life. That's the most important thing, is receiving from God the, the salvation of His Son and then learning to be a giver in other ways.